Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And I wasn't even necessarily trying for no-kill status. I was just transparent with the public, which they absolutely hated. (laughs) Technically, if a shelter maintains 90% placement, it is considered no-kill. Mandy was an ideal employee, and that was the problem. When I signed my name on a euthanasia, I could back it up. They wanted her out because they didn't want anyone interrupting this political deal of privatization. And they're coming in, they have a five-year, $15.8 million contract. It's an expensive Band-Aid. You were pretty concerned about what the government was asking the court to do. The idea that they can prevent, uh, you know, an attorney from sharing public documents is, uh, it just, it didn't make sense. I'm Emily Woodbury. St. Louis County runs one of the largest open admission animal shelters in a region where pet overpopulation has reached overwhelming proportions. The shelter has been embroiled in controversy for the past five years, with employees, volunteers, and community members calling into question the shelter's ability to maintain decent living conditions for its residents. Critics also point to less-than-ideal working conditions for employees and volunteers, and the shelter's policies towards things like euthanasia. Recently, the county signed a five-year, $15.8 million contract for a services agreement between the county and a nonprofit called the Animal Protective Association of Missouri, or APA. Both parties hope that conditions at the shelter will improve under APA's operation. They're expected to take over operations by the end of this year. Even with a nonprofit coming in, the county's still defending the shelter against lawsuits from former staff and pet owners. This summer, that defense reached new intensity as the county sought a gag order against lawyer Mark Pedroli, who's issued multiple lawsuits against the shelter. And he joins me now. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Also with us is Mark's client, former shelter manager Mandy Zatorski. She runs the Missouri Canine Friends Nonprofit Rescue and Mandy Canine, which is a training organization. She's suing St. Louis County for her termination from the shelter a couple years ago. She alleges she was fired in retaliation after reporting misconduct and criticizing the privatization process. Thank you for coming in today, Mandy. Yeah, no problem. So there's so much to unpack here. You know, the lawsuits that Mark has filed against the county's shelter are smaller pieces of a much larger story about the county's years-long struggle to maintain this shelter. So, Mandy, can you set the scene for us? Let's go back to when you became St. Louis County Animal Care and Control's population manager. This was in December 2019. And this was just after the release of an audit that was highly critical of shelter operations. Yes, it was. Um, So my first day I walked in, um, it was very overwhelming. Um, I walked into several staff turning in their resignation notices. I walked into over 400 animals in the building. Um, I walked into a pretty hostile work environment. A lot of the supervisors didn't seem happy that I was there. Um, I said good morning to one of them the first day, and I was greeted by an eye roll. (laughs) Um, I wasn't really 
necessarily trained. Uh, They kind of just told me, like, they gave me a tour of the building and they showed me where my computer was. Um, I had to train myself on the software that they used on Chameleon. I had never used it before, so I had to kind of figure it out myself. Um, but it was a it was a pretty disturbing environment. Um, cages were not cleaned, dogs were not being walked, um, and morale was extremely low. And was it apparent after a few weeks why this was? It was very apparent. Um, there is a, a small group of supervisors and management um, that kind of seems to be the source of all the hostility at the shelter. Um, and the source of most of the problems at the shelter. Um, I had always kind of been an outsider. I was a rescue in the past that had pulled from that shelter. So I had kind of worked with them in the past, but I had never been actually like inside the walls, if that makes sense. Um, A lot of the kennel staff um, who were kind of painted as the problem in the past, I noticed were actually really good workers and they actually really cared about the animals. Those kennel staff were dealing with hostile supervisors, uh, abusive supervisors. They were um, dealing with a horrible work environment. Um, and at the same time, management, it just got worse. The more it goes up the chain, it just got worse. And were the solutions to these problems clear? The solutions were pretty clear. Um, it, was, it wasn't even just the staff that had issues. It was also... A lot of volunteers would stop volunteering because they couldn't handle the hostile environment. Um, Rescues, when I first started, rescues had refused to um, continue pulling animals from the shelter. Nobody wanted to work with uh, ACC. The solution, in my opinion, is honestly getting rid of the problem management. And during your tenure, the county was you know, kind of knew these issues were happening. They were looking for a solution. And one of the solutions they pulled was to possibly privatize the shelter operations. What were your thoughts on that at the time? So when I first came in, um, I had they I mean, at the same time, they had protests and people going to county council meetings and everything, too. So they were definitely in hot water. Um, When I interviewed, I specifically asked about the privatization because I did not want to put my business on hold and my nonprofit on hold if I was going to take a, you know, a career path that my job may disappear in a few months. They said that as long as everything was getting better, that no, that wasn't going to be on the table. Like it was talked about, but it wasn't like their plan. That's what they told me in my interview. A month in, they told me, yes, the privatization is happening. Now, at the same time, we had taken that over 400 animals number and it went down into the 150s. We had a no-kill status at that time already. I had rescues pulling from us again. We were getting more staff, so things were getting better. And my big question was, why did you even hire me in the first place to fix things? Like, did you not think I was gonna fix things? (laughs) Um, But why did you hire me to fix everything and then tell me a month in that my job might not exist in a few months? Um, Because I wouldn't have taken the job in the first place if you were gonna privatize, just privatize. So that was kind of where I started questioning the background. It wasn't until a management meeting that I was told um, when I kept asking, you know, why are we pushing privatization so hard when, you know, you have staff coming in, things are getting better, we're doing really well. I was told the reasoning was political deals have been made and it was an election year. Political deals for the bid for what nonprofit would come in to yes. help. And at the time, they did mention to organizations that they were kind of already on the radar. Hmm. So you started speaking out. I did. And what happened next? 
I was told to quit rocking the boat. Um, I was told that there was a target on my back. Um, I was told to play nice with the supervisors. Um, Every time that I would try to pretty much do my job um, or every time that I was transparent, um, I was told to quit rocking the boat or to stay in my lane. Uh, They changed my job description twice. Um, they, every single time I would bring anything up in the management meetings about, you know, one time I actually said, if you guys want people to stop saying bad things about us, we need to stop doing bad things. So I was not very liked by the management team. Um, I pretty much several times I had a resignation letter saved on my computer. I was ready to quit (laughs) several times. Um, the only reason I stayed as long as I did until they actually terminated me, was I stayed there for the staff, the volunteers, the rescues, the taxpayers, and the animals. Um, Because I felt like I was pretty much a wall between, you know, the horrible things that were happening. Um, I had to protect the animals and the staff and everybody else from this hostile management team. So in December 2020, a year after you started at the St. Louis County Animal Shelter, you were terminated from your position. And um, your attorney, Mark Pedroli, who's here with us today, he filed a lawsuit on your behalf saying your First Amendment rights were violated in that firing. Mark, I'd love to hear you um, talk a little bit about what Mandy's case is here. Sure. So this is a classic uh, whistleblower type case, uh, an employment uh, discrimination and a whistleblower type case, where you have somebody who, as Mandy said, she was hired, she went in, and she spoke uh, to the county council. She spoke in public. She advocated uh, on behalf of a particular position, and she was internally punished and uh, retaliated against for taking a position uh, that she did. And her position was against privatization. Now, as we all know, privatization has been a topic in St. Louis and the whole region. We've just, we've just dealt with an airport privatization debate where some politicians and some people took one side and some people took the other, and it, everybody spoke out about it and let, us, let them know their position. Well, the same was true here. It was on a lesser scale. Uh, obviously, not as many people knew about this privatization. And frankly, parallels, I don't think, were drawn in the media between the privatization effort in St. Louis County and also the privatization effort in St. Louis City. But they are similar in the, in the regard where these are government functions that they were going to basically let someone else run. Um, and, and in this case, they were charter government functions. So we have Mandy Ryan, Mandy Zagorsi, coming out and saying, I'm opposed to this, as were a lot of employees internally at ACC. But because Mandy was such an effective leader, Mandy was an ideal employee, and that was the problem. That's the problem they had the most. She wasn't a wallflower. She had people who, who they, they believed followed her. They thought she was a leader of ACC. She was smart. She was effective, and she was a good communicator. And that's why they put a target on her back. That's why they got rid of her. They wanted her out because they didn't want anyone interrupting this political deal of privatization. That violates the law. And, Mark, where is Mandy's case currently? Where does it stand? So the case is filed, and we're conducting written discovery right now. That means we're exchanging information between St. Louis County and, and the plaintiff. Um, So we are essentially receiving information that we didn't have 
prior to the lawsuit, which is one of the benefits of filing a lawsuit and conducting discovery. So we're, we have emails, text messages, and communications between and among some of these parties, which I believe essentially uh, is a smoking gun that shows that they were frustrated with Mandy speaking out. They were frustrated that Mandy went and spoke in front of the St. Louis County Council against privatization, and they were building a case uh, in order to retaliate and terminate her. We're talking this hour with attorney Mark Padroli and his client, former St. Louis County Animal Shelter Manager Mandy Zatorski. They're suing St. Louis County Animal Care and Control on the grounds that the county violated Mandy's First Amendment rights. And Mark, you're not only representing Mandy, you also filed a lawsuit on behalf of Aaron Bolfin in 2019. This was just before, just as Mandy was starting to work with the shelter. Tell us a little bit about Aaron Bolfin's story. So Aaron Bolfin's story is another classic case of a bad government, and it sort of fits in the mandate of our organization, the Sunshine and Government Accountability Project. This is sort of on the government accountability side of that. So she brings in her dog for a 10-day quarantine, and uh, within an hour or so, that dog was killed without her knowledge. Um, She came to pick up the dog the next day. I mean, this is their family pet, a beloved pet, and the dog, they told her the dog was killed. They didn't abide by their own policies. Um, They internally knew that, you know, that they didn't abide by their own policies. And so we filed a lawsuit, Fourth Amendment constitutional taking. So when they killed her pet, that that's a seizure under the Constitution, and it was the government performing the function. So we sued. We're in litigation now. We actually have a trial date coming up on that, I believe, in mid-January. So tell us a little bit more about the county's reaction to this. What is the county claiming happened to Daisy and the actions right. of, of Daisy's owners? So, right, they're, they're, basically, they're basically saying, well, I think what they're saying is that her husband uh, brought the dog in to be euthanized. Now, they're not saying the wife did, and the wife's name was on the chip. Now, the husband, of course, denies that. He says he brought the dog in for the 10-day quarantine, and they had planned on picking up the dog 10 days later. So essentially, they're blaming the people that brought in the dog, saying that they said something that they did not say. And that especially upset the plaintiffs in this case, as you can imagine, because they feel like now the the government's defense is to lie about what they did. Um, So that has been, it's made the case quite contentious. Um, There has been some media done on this case as well. And in fact, I think you mentioned earlier that St. Louis County um, took the unusual step of going to federal court and asking for a gag order to prevent uh, Ms. Bolfin and, and others from speaking about the case, including to prevent the lawyer, myself, from sharing documents that we might get in response to Sunshine requests regarding this case. I have never seen that done before by any government defendant, and it was unsuccessful for them in this case. Yeah, you you wrote that this was an unprecedented request in the St. Louis right. region, this order. And it, it did end up being dismissed by the judge. But, I mean, you were pretty concerned about what the government was asking the court to do. Very concerned. It was, it was so unusual 
that I thought it, it needed more attention on what they were doing. I mean, this was a government essentially coming in and saying that a lawyer who submits sunshine requests for public documents can't then turn around and share the the, the documents that they receive with the general public. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, anyone could make those requests, myself, my neighbor, you. Um, so the idea that they can prevent, uh, you know, an attorney from sharing public documents is, uh, it just, it didn't make sense. And it showed me that they're obviously concerned uh, about some of the documents that we do have. We reached out to St. Louis County for comment on these lawsuits against the shelter. And, and on this lawsuit specifically, we asked what material you are being accused of disclosing to media sources. The county declined in the past to comment on these lawsuits or the gag order. And in an email on Wednesday this week, county spokesman Doug Moore responded to our questions, writing, we will remain consistent with no comment. Well, you know, back to this case of Erin Bolfin and her family and their dog, Daisy. They're trying to find out what happened to Daisy um, as, you know, she was killed two hours after being dropped off at the shelter. Mandy, this happened right as you were starting in your position at the shelter. Was this just kind of a the canary in the coal mine of what you were walking into? Yes. Yeah, so this actually happened, like, I had only been there for, like, a week-ish. It was very, very new. Um, and it, I think it happened on a Friday because I was, um, I had to go to the health department. We all had to be vaccinated for rabies in those positions. And I had been vaccinated for rabies, so I had to get my titer done. So I went to the health department to get my titer done, and then I had a meeting at the health department with Spring and all of management. Um, and then I went home. And normal weekend. And then over the weekend, I see on Facebook, of all places, pictures of a dog that I don't recognize saying St. Louis County killed this dog. And I just looked at it like I looked stupid because I'm like, we didn't get that dog in the shelter. <laughs> um, so I took the information in on Monday to Lee Jackson's office and I said, we have a problem. Did this dog come in on Friday? Um, on fr uh, Not actually that Friday. Um we were, you know, not in the building or whatever. And he said, let me look into it. And that's when we kind of find out, we find out that the euthanasia was for some reason rushed. And I, that's another reason I started looking at things again as how corrupt everything was. And yeah, but it was very disturbing to say the least. And you mentioned that when you walked in, things were pretty chaotic. There were, mm -hmm. I think you said over 400 dogs in the shelter, mm -hmm. um, not being taken on walks regularly. And you got that down to about 150 dogs at the shelter. Mm -hmm. And then you were terminated in December 2020. Do you know from kind of keeping in touch how things have been since December 2020 when you left? It has gone right back to what it was before I started. Um, I've done several Sunshine Law requests on walking logs um, since I've been gone, and walking logs are blank again. Dogs are not being walked. Um, I'm still in touch with several volunteers and staff who I will keep anonymous. Um, conditions are literally right back to where they were, um, and they pretty rapidly declined. Um, right after my termination, they had a mass exodus of staff, and um, it just went right back to square one. So all I keep telling myself is during that year that I was there, I saved as many lives as I could. Um, I, you know, for a year we had things running great and everyone was happy. We were getting things back to where they should be. And that's all I can kind of tell myself to make myself feel better when I see how bad it is again, um, that I didn't waste my time <laughs> when I was there. Um, the main issue with the privatization that a lot of people don't see is not only is it very, very expensive for taxpayers, 
But what they're kind of not disclosing to the public is this privatization only contracts out parts of the shelter. And the parts of the shelter that they're contracting out do not include those managers and supervisors. So the people that are causing all the problems at the shelter will still be there and they'll still sit in their office and they're still going to get their county checks. We're just going to pay more money to have another organization come in and do what we've already proven can be done without privatizing. And this other organization, again, is the Animal Protective Association of Missouri. This is a nonprofit. And as you mentioned, they're coming in. They have a five-year, $15.8 million contract for a services agreement to help run the county shelter. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be doing animal control, for instance. Um, They're expected to take over operations by the end of this year. You alluded to this a little bit because you mentioned that some of the supervisors that were causing issues in the past are still going to be in place. But do you have some hope that the APA will bring positive change to the shelter? I do love the APA. I think they're a great organization. Um, Actually, one of my subordinates that quit right after my termination, she works at the APA now, um, and she's great. I value her immensely. Um, The APA is great. Um, Although it's an expensive Band-Aid is what I'm going to call it, um, we might see some positive changes in, for example, enrichment. Like they're going to treat the APA like they treated me. Um, They're going to be a PR Band-Aid. They're going to come in and help with certain things like the dogs being walked. So dogs might get walked more, which is definitely a plus. Um, They might help a little bit with adoptions, possibly with rescue. Um, But we're still going to have all of the same issues with hostile work environment um, and a lot of the other issues with management. And we received some kind of tough news this week that the St. Louis County's shelters with uh, problems with overcrowding aren't over. The shelter previously said that it won't euthanize animals just because of space. But then this week, the Post-Dispatch reported that the shelter will euthanize more animals, specifically ones deemed too violent or dangerous to adopt. County Executive Sam Page even said, quote, at some point, some animals have to be euthanized, and it's something we don't like, but we have to have room for new animals to come in. Mandy, what's your response to this news? So I love the way that they're trying to paint this. Um, Is it true that behavioral euthanasia is needed? Yes, unfortunately it is. Um, When I was at county, we did behavioral euthanasia, but we still had no-kill status. Um, Sometimes there are dogs that are too dangerous or have, you know, too many bites on their history, and you don't want to put a dog out on into the public that will maim a kid or, like, really hurt somebody. Um, However, the reason that they're so overcrowded is not necessarily because of overbreeding or strays, because they're not even taking in strays right now. Um, What I and several other staff saw when we were there is... If you do your job and do it correctly, you can have lower numbers, you can have rescues pulling, and you can have no-kill status. Um, The current people that are running animal population, to put it the nicest way possible, it's laziness and incompetence. Um, They're not networking with rescues. Um, They're not doing proper behavioral evaluations. So a dog that I would look at and say, oh, it's just scared, they're going to deem aggressive and euthanize it. And... I'm I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit more about that because, you know, the county shelter is saying, you know, unlike other maybe nonprofit or private shelters, 
we are taking in a lot of high risk dogs. You're you're shaking your head. Is that <laughs> is that a fair so they uh, are in a sense where like certain things like bite cases and things like that they do take in a lot of. Um and when I was there, we had the same exact situation going on with that and we still had no kill status. Um so it can be done if you do it right. And I wasn't even necessarily trying for no-kill status. I was just transparent with the public, which they absolutely hated. (laughs) Um, But that's why when I signed my name on a euthanasia, I could back it up. Um, And they're just kind of – it's really sad to see all these dogs that could be rehabbed and all these dogs that are just not being walked and they're terrified in a shelter um, and they're getting euthanized just for being scared. But the issue with the dangerous animals coming in and everything else, they're literally not taking strays. Like when people call St. Louis County when it's 95 degrees outside and there's dogs like with heat exhaustion running loose in the streets, they're saying we can't pick up strays right now because we're full. But they're full because they're not doing their job. I I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about no-kill status. I think people hear that and they have mm-hmm. different definitions of what it means. Um, You know, the Post-Dispatch reported recently that last year the St. Louis County Shelter found homes for nearly 92% of its animals. That's according to public health department data. And um, I guess technically, in technical terms, if a shelter maintains 90% Mm -hmm. placement, it is considered no-kill. So it's it's called a live release rate. So a live release rate means pretty much the dog doesn't get euthanized in your care. Um, It also does not include OREs, which goes into the Bullfin case and why they didn't like to disclose that information to owners that signed the intake forms. Um, Live release rate is pretty much dogs that get adopted. They go to rescue. They get returned to owner. Any dog that leaves or cat or any animal that leaves the shelter alive is a live release. So any shelter or rescue that has a 90% plus live release rate is qualified to call themselves no-kill. Okay, and we should mention that ORE is owner requested Request euthanasia. euthanasia. Yep. And Mandy, in our in our final minute here, I just want to give you time to reflect. You know, it sounds like there there are a lot of people at the shelter that are trying to do good. There are some that are doing their best and maybe falling through, and then others. Who knows? What would you like people to know about what it takes to run a county animal shelter of this size and scope? So it all starts with management, um, and it, it really is a trickle-down effect. Um, like I said, the first day, there was the staff morale was extremely low. People were literally, that I didn't even know, were quitting. Um, and they were saying they were quitting because of management. Um, most of the people that quit, I mean, their resignation letters, I'm quitting because of these particular supervisors. I'm quitting because of poor management. That was just a constant trend. Um, but if you have a strong management team and you trickle that down into your staff and if you work hard for your staff, they will work hard for you. Um, it's not even just about the internals. It's about rescues and volunteers. And this is a government facility. So it's taxpayers, too. Um, my biggest thing that I disagreed with all the other management members on was transparency. Um, they hated transparency. They wanted to hide everything from the public. And my thing was, we're literally talking about euthanasia. So we have to, the public needs to trust us. So we need to be honest and upfront about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And every time I had that conversation, I was told to stop rocking the boat. Um, it is pretty horrific that, and again, the APA is great. I have nothing against the APA at all. Them coming in might help a little bit in certain areas. Um, however, the management that I'm talking about, there are things like 
forging government documents. There are things like sexual harassment, racism, horrible things going on in that building. And that's going to keep going on even with the APA coming in. So the APA is not a solution. It's an expensive band-aid. Now, Mandy, you're pretty busy now. You run Missouri Canine Friends, which is a nonprofit rescue, and the training group Mandy Canine. But would you ever consider going back to no. the county animal shelter? No. no. They could offer me 500000 a year, and I would say no. Mm. Well, Mandy, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us today and yeah. sharing your story. Thank you. <laughs> Mandy Sadorsky worked as a St. Louis County Animal Care and Control Manager from December 2019 to December 2020. And attorney Mark Pedroli is representing Mandy Sadorsky and a second client, a pet owner, in lawsuits against the St. Louis County Animal Care and Control. Mark, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.